Hello again, and welcome to the Messages podcast of Newbury Park First Christian Church. We're glad you're listening because we believe that constant contact with the Word of God, obviously handled with the right heart, can really change your life and can help you adopt the kingdom of God into every part of your daily rhythm. Today's podcast is from a series called Resolve, based on the book of Daniel. Just as Daniel found himself in the middle of a culture that was quickly flowing away from God's design, we can learn from his example how to resolve to follow the Lord no matter what and thrive as a result. So be blessed today as you receive this word. Well, it's great to, to see you, man. What a, great, what a great set of just time to worship and allow ourselves to soak in the, the presence and the fullness of a God who does deliver this morning. You know, I, I don't know about you, but if you, if you caught any news this week, if you, if you read anything, what, what you probably heard, I don't know, did anybody else hear the term culture wars this week? It, it, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's crazy. It, it seems that we've moved past division in our country to all-out battle. And, and we're experiencing, I think, the collision of opposing thoughts and philosophies, political ideologies, worldviews like, like never before. And this war is nothing new. Uh, it's been happening ever since the garden. And, and it stems from just a, a simple disagreement, a, a simple incompatibility in our understanding of what the truth is and, and what or who deserves to be worshipped. I mean, do, do, I, do I make up my own truth? I mean, that the world would say, yeah, you, you do you. You make up your own truth. All, all truth is relative. Do, does the majority opinion define the truth? Do, do the people with the most power, money, do they determine the truth? Or was Jesus right when he said he was the way, the truth, and the life? So, you know, we, we're here in a culture that oftentimes we find ourselves pushing back and it pushing back on us as we try to live out a life of following Jesus. So we're in week three of our series through the Old Testament book of Daniel that we're calling, and we're calling the series Resolve. Because as we discovered in week one, in chapter one, that Daniel and some of his friends, some of the other Jewish people were taken exile when God chose to use a pagan king, King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon, to overthrow his own people in Jerusalem because the nations continued their unfaithfulness and worshiping of pagan gods. And God had warned them this was going to happen. And because they continued to worship these pagan gods, because they continued to allow themselves to, to be just like the cultures around them, these exiles were taken away to Babylon and enculturated into the Babylonian way of life. And we see from the beginning that they will have to make choices. I love this about this book because every week there's a choice to be made. And, and what we're discovering is these, these young men that we're going to talk about today, they have to make choices whether or not to give in to the culture around them or to stand and worship the one true God. Now last week in chapter 2, and Pastor David did a great job taking us through uh, chapter 2. Let's hear it for Pastor David. He did a great job. Yeah. By the way, if... If you weren't here, if you weren't here, um, whether you're online or here or you weren't here um, and you didn't, you missed those last couple messages, I encourage you to go back and take a look at those because um, it kind of sets the stage. Um, 
We discovered last week that there is a God in heaven that reveals mysteries that God graciously revealed to King Nebuchadnezzar in a dream and then to Daniel um, the next 500 years of world history. Basically says, here's what's going to happen. Wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't that be awesome if God just like showed up, gave you a dream and said, hey, here it is. Here's the next 500 years, right? But, that's, but God did that. And in the interpretation, there was a statue there, remember? And Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar that in his kingdom, uh, was the stat- in the statue was the head of gold. And he told him that his kingdom, along with a, the later on the Persian kingdom, the Greek and the Roman empires, would be crushed as God would set up an eternal kingdom. Well, that part about being the head of gold had to have gone to the head of King Nebuchadnezzar. Because what we find him doing in chapter 3 is setting up a whole image of gold in his own honor. And this image is 90 feet tall, okay, so like twice as tall, over twice as tall as this, you know, this thing here, right, and 9 feet wide. So it looks like it could get toppled over easy. But it's 90 feet tall, overlaid with gold, sitting outside. The sun's shining down on it, and it's blinding everybody, right? You can't miss this thing. Now, uh, for those of you who like to geek out on all the Bible study stuff, there's a, a thing called the Septuagint version of the Bible. It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Uh, for those of you who are new to studying the Bible, the Old Testament predominantly is written in, in Hebrew. There's a few parts, like a couple of these chapters in Daniel written in Aramaic, and then the New Testament is written in Greek. Well, the, around the New Testament times, um, the people wanted to have the Old Testament in Greek, so they, they translated it, and it became the, um, called the Septuagint version of the Old Testament, right? In the Septuagint version, in some of the oldest um, manuscripts that we have about the Old Testament, and in some of the Septuagint versions, it, it basically tells us that 16 years had gone by between what we studied last week in chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, right? 16 years. Now, time, as many of us know, time can bring healing, right? Um, But as we also know, is time can also bring amnesia. Because how how many of you over time have forgotten what God has done for you? Yeah? How many of you have made promises to God before and then over time you kind of forgot to deliver? Here's the good news. God's not a deliverer like you and me. Right? God, God delivers always and in the right timing. But we, we don't come through. And, and so what happens here is after 16 years, I mean, Daniel says, hey, look, king, you're going to have this great kingdom, but, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall. And then the kingdom after that's going to fall, and the kingdom after that's going to fall, and the kingdom after that's going to fall. All these worldly kingdoms set up, they're all going to fall. And God's going to establish a kingdom that will last forever. Well, after 16 years and nobody's come in to threaten him, he's thinking he's okay. And that's where we jump into the scriptures. So let's dive into the text this morning in Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, where it says this. Here's the command that the king gives. Right, because he's thinking, he, he's thinking pretty good about himself at this point. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits, or 90 feet, high, and 6 cubits, or 9 feet, wide, and set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps of prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials 
to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then, they, then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. I mean, so you're catching this, he's saying, hey, all of you people everywhere, you need to understand Nebuchadnezzar, really one of the first world powers that went out and actually literally like conquered other places and brought people back to enculturate them and to create what, would be, what we would call a pluralistic society, okay? And so he's saying, hey, from wherever you are, it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, everybody has to do this. And he commands them, and he says, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into, the blazing, into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither and the lyre and the harp and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. We still do this today, don't we? We set up all kinds of of images in our own honor. I, I was thinking about that. I don't know if you've been to Washington, D.C. Um, when we did a tour in Washington, D.C., we had a tour guide who once told us that the Mall of Washington, when it was built, was built for two main purposes. Number one, to um, demonstrate the accomplishments um, of this new nation that was being founded because it was built quite a while ago. And number two, to intimidate any foreign visitors, right? That's what, that's what it's there for. So you have a Washington monument that's 555 feet tall, right? Um, the faces on Mount Rushmore, they're 60 feet tall each, right? But think about, so uh, Nebuchadnezzar's monument's even taller than that. The um, Statue of Liberty, 305 feet tall. We love to build monuments. We love to build monuments to ourselves, I would venture to guess that if you walked around your house, you might even have a monument or two to your good works, right? Because we love to do this. Nebuchadnezzar brought people from all over the world to Babylon. And he, like I said, he was attempting to build this pluralistic society, a world power. And one thing every pluralistic society does is this, is they try to tell you that it's okay to worship your God as long as you do it in private. That, that you can worship your God, okay, as long as you do that private, privately, so you privatize your own faith. As long as when you're in public, in public, you, you have to conform and be like everybody else so that everybody can get along. That, that's what every pluralistic society has ever done. They say, hey, in fact, Nebuchadnezzar isn't saying, he never said, hey, don't, don't worship your gods from Israel. He says, but you have to. When, when, the, when the horn blows and when all this stuff happens, you have to, like everybody else, you have to bow down and worship the gods that I set up, right? So you can do whatever you want over there, but don't make any waves. 
says, you know what? When, when you're in private, do your thing, but in public, you're pressured to be just like everyone else. So just don't tell us that your God is the best or your God is the only, and don't offend, just blend, right? How many of you feel the pressure to blend in our, in our world today, right? Just, just blend, just, you know, don't make waves, don't make a big deal, don't push buttons, don't cause a stir, don't rock the boat, don't mess things up, let's, you know, can't we all, right? It's true, so don't offend, so, but let me ask you something, let me ask you a question. Where is it that culture is telling you to blend? Where's culture asking you to compromise? What's it trying to get you to bow down to? Think about it. This happens in all kinds of different areas of our lives. Um, usually, it, I mean, it happens in the workplace, right? I mean, I mean don't, don't rock the boat at work, man. Don't mess things up. You know, I mean, in, in your social circles, right? We, in, in, I mean, we, we call it peer pressure, right? It, it's just, part, it's like part of life. Like, we don't mess things up. It, it's just like, get along, blend in, go with the flow. That's, that's what it's telling us to do. I mean, in relationships and stuff, we're, we're asked to compromise and to do this. So we're constantly being asked to blend in, to compromise. Now, at this point, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have a huge choice to make. Because God's law is very specific about bowing down to any idols. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 19, it says, If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. So when your God says something like that, and then you're asked, hey, you got to bow down to something else, you have a choice to make. And I would just tell you this, we all have a choice to make. These guys had a huge choice to make. Now, you got to remember, there were 10,000 other Jews that were taken captive from Babylon, into Babylon. And, and it, it just, it, it, and this, it doesn't seem to have been a big deal for the majority of them, because they all went along. But these three young men, they could have easily thought, hey, what, what's, what's the big deal? Everyone else is bowing down. I mean, we've been put in, in, in new places. Remember last week, they got put in places of authority? And they're thinking, hey, we just, we got put in these places of authority to help lead. And now the guy who's leading, he's asking us to do something. Like, should we, like, where, where can we compromise? Where can we blend? Where can we do all this? I mean, everybody else is bowing down. We don't want to make waves. We don't want to draw any undue attention to ourselves. Everybody else is doing it. And folks, we, we fall into that all the time. I mean, some of you remember, you know, when you were younger. Or maybe not so much younger, maybe just at work. Everybody else is doing it, right? Everybody else is cutting this corner. Everybody else is kind of edging others out. Everybody else is acting this way. Everybody else is accepting this. Everybody else is giving in to this. All these things are happening. Everybody else is doing it. But here's the truth. That's not true. And it wasn't true here. Everybody else is not doing it. Everybody wants you to do it because if you do it, whatever it may be, 
you will help validate it for them. That's the issue. And a lot hangs in the balance there. Because if we who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, if we give in, right, and we validate it for the rest of them, then others are just going to crumble around us. Folks, when we as believers fail to take a stand against injustice, when we fail to call sin by its real name, when we turn a blind eye to conflict, when we avoid um, when, when we avoid getting into conversations because they're, they're, they're hard, when we, when we allow fear and personal comfort to rule uh, our lives and we compromise our faith, we, we fail to be salt and light to the world. And that, that, folks, is what actually contributes to the moral unraveling of a nation, is when the people who know what's right just completely say no, or we blend. But of course, standing up for the truth will, will make you some enemies. So look at verse 8. Verse 8 says this, at this time, some astrologers, okay, now these were the wise men of Egypt, you remember that? Who got put in charge of the wise men of Egypt last, last week? Yeah, Daniel, right? So at this time, it says, some of the astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. No, they're sucking up to him, right? Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the, the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music. You notice how they keep saying that? It's like they have all the information down. He says, um, they must fall down and worship the image of gold. And, what, and what to, whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. And then they say, but... There are some Jews who, have, who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and listen to what they say, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Now listen to his response. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? At first, he's like giving them a chance, right? He's like, hey, hey guys, is this true? Like, like I know this is what, what people are saying, but I also know that you took their jobs last, you know, chapter. So, that, you know, so let, let's check it out, right? So he gives them a shot. He says, now then, he goes, maybe, maybe you misunderstood, you know, maybe you misread, maybe you misinterpreted, but he says, now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then you got to love this voice, or this uh, sentence. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? I, I, if you've been following through the book, you, you recognize this incredible uh, thing that keeps happening is uh, they keep asking the same question. Like what God out there can do and then, you know, fill in the impossible. And, and then, and, and it's pretty amazing. You know, Nebuchadnezzar is saying, hey, 
all of this has happened. I'm the head of gold. You got to worship. You got to do what I say. And he says, and if you don't, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Folks, if you're a follower of Jesus, in our cultural context today, you will stand out. You will stand out in the world. If you start walking like Jesus walks, if you're following the way of Jesus in our culture, in our society, in the United States, in California, in Southern California, in the Caneo Valley, in Newberry Park, if you follow Jesus, you will stand out. Can you imagine this scene? Thousands of people out in this open plain, and there's a 90-foot-tall you know, statue that these guys are supposed to worship. And all of a sudden, the music goes, and everybody hits the ground, except three guys. I mean, talk about standing out, right? There's three guys looking around like, what are y'all doing, right? Three guys standing there. I mean, think, I mean, think about that pressure for the moment. And, and I, I, want, I, want to, I want to contend this this morning. In the culture that we live in today, with all the freedoms that we have and everything else, if you follow the way of Jesus, you will stand out. You will stand out in your neighborhood. You will stand out at work. You will stand out at school. You will stand out at the ball field. You will stand out. I'm not saying in a bad way, you just will stand out. My hope is that it will be in a wonderful way, that people will look at you and go, wow, what is, what's different about them? Not in some antagonistic, like, all right, king, come get me now, kind of way, right? That's, that's not what we're talking about. Think if you follow the way of Jesus and you love your neighbor to the extent that Jesus loved you, Man, who would not want to be your neighbor? I mean, the reality is, is that you will stand out if you stand up for Jesus. You know, I mean, I don't know about you, but do you feel the pressure? Do you feel the pressure in our world to conform? If you don't feel it, then I believe it's a pretty good indicator that you've already made some pretty big compromises. If you're a follower of Jesus, you, you will feel it in our culture. If you're following Jesus, be prepared to have other people oppose you and even hate you. I, I mean, in Matthew 10, 22 says, you will be hated by everyone because of me. This is what Jesus says. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. All of us are afraid. I mean, all of us live in, in, in a certain amount of like, okay, how do we do this? Like, you know, like what's going to happen if I actually take a stand? What's it going to look like if I really do that? And a, and a lot of us, a lot of us are, are, are living in fear of some of those. But I love Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. This says this. Jesus said this. I tell you, uh, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. 
Fear the one whom, after your body has been killed, has the authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. The question is, are you going to fear the world? Are you going to fear the world? Are you going to fear God? Because here's the deal: the the one who you fear the most has the most control over you. And if you fear the world the most, then it's going to cause you to compromise. So Nebuchadnezzar, I love this, because um, Nebuchadnezzar, I think, he thinks his question is a rhetorical one, right? Nebuchadnezzar's like, what, what, what God can save you from my hand? And he thinks that's rhetorical. I think God thinks it's an invitation, <laughs> right? I mean, I, mean it's, I love it because here's Nebuchadnezzar like, oh, yeah, what, what, what can anybody, nobody can save you, what God can save you, and God's going, oh, all right, here we go, right? That's just like an invitation, and these three young men have a courageous response. Look in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. But if, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God that we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Man, what a bold, courageous response. Now first, look, look at the faith of these three young guys. This is amazing. Verse 16 says, we don't need to defend ourselves, right? They realize that their faith and the Lord's actions speak for themselves. You know, folks, I, I mean, here, here's the thing I want to tell you. You don't have to spend all your time arguing with people. Okay, Christian, listen. Do not be obnoxious and just argue with everybody. That does not get you where you want to go. I can tell you this. In all my years of ministry, I have never argued somebody into the kingdom of God just doesn't work that way, right? If all you like to do is argue, you're just obnoxious. Knock it off, okay? I, I, I mean, honestly, okay? You, they don't need to defend. They don't need to like, well, king, you know, and they don't, they don't even give him like, you know, king, hold on, maybe you've never read the Torah, you know? I mean, they don't, they don't do any of that. They just go, hey, our, our actions, all this stuff, and what God has just already done will speak for itself. Think about it. I mean, they, they already had the whole situation where these guys, you know, they, they went on the special Daniel diet, and, and they, they, they looked better and were wiser than everybody else in chapter one, and then God revealed a dream that no way anybody else could reveal in chapter two, and so basically Shadrach, Meshach, and, Ago, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saying, hey, look, you've already seen what God can do. Like, I don't know why you've forgotten so quick. I mean, I know it's been 16 years, but I, I, how have you forgotten this so quickly? Like, we don't need to defend ourselves. And here's what's amazing, is they don't. I mean, here's a question that all of us have to wrestle with. Um, how quick are you to get defensive? I, I think that that's something that, that doesn't match well with the humility that we're called to have in Christ. 
We immediately, the hair goes up on the back of our heads and we get defensive and we attack. And you know what that is? That is conforming into the image of our world. That is becoming just like the world and it's compromising and it's putting you just like them. It's blending in just like everybody else. I gotta prove my point. Where if you simply live the life of following Jesus, let Jesus prove the point for you, amen? So they're like, look, we don't have to defend this on, 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 to you, king. And then look at verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. They know that God is able. How many of you believe God is able this morning? Amen? God is able. God is able to do anything. I, I, think, what, I think what they're remembering is years before, just before the exile, one of, one of the main prophets of the Old Testament, Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 43, verses one to three, like th- these, are, these are passages that just like, I keep in my heart because I have to remember this always. It says this, it says, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are, yeah, you belong to him, nobody else. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the river, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, I will, okay, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God. I mean, God had already told them, hey, if it comes down to it, and you gotta walk through some fire, don't worry you're not gonna get caught on fire, right? I mean, God's already said like, hey, this is who I am and this is what I can do. And these guys fully believe that God is able to deliver them. And then then I love this, he backs up, he says, okay, so not only can God deliver us from the furnace, he says, he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. I I think, I think that these guys truly believe they're in a win-win situation. I mean, think about that for a minute. These guys, they're, they're like, oh man, we're in this amazing win-win situation right now. Nebuchadnezzar, he's got everything to lose. I mean, think about it. What if God does deliver them? What's that say about him, right? These guys are in a total win-win situation because of their faith, because either God delivers them and bam, I mean, you get elevated in status pretty quick when, when you like come out of a fire. But if he doesn't, They're still rescued from the king's hand. They're out from under his authority and they're in the presence of God. And that's what they're holding on to. They're in this win-win situation. And the question for you this morning is this. Are you living life as if you're in a win-win because you have faith in the God that can do all things that no matter what happens, that he's gonna pull out a win? Or are you living in a what-if kind of world? What if it doesn't happen? That never enters these guys' minds. I mean, well, actually, let's take a look at verse 18. He says, verse 18, I think, is a game changer. It says this. See, this this right here, verse 18, this is the depth of faith that I, I, I long for. Okay, they said, look, God can deliver us from the furnace. He'll deliver us from your hand. And then he says this, but even if he does not. Even if he does not. 
want you to say that with me. Even if he does not. We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. With total resolve not to bow down to any other god or kingdom, these three men display their full allegiance to God even if. Even if God does not pull them out of the fire. I mean, think about that. Even even if God does not save them from the furnace, they will trust him. They are saying, and I think this is so huge for us, they are saying that we love God and we trust him so much, we believe so much in who he is that we trust him not just for what he can do for us, but for who he is. And that's something that every one of us really have to wrestle down. Do you just love God because of what he can do for you? I, I mean, do, do we attend church and do our, you know, our Christian duties so that we can mark off the box so that we can say, okay, pretty sure going to heaven, right? Are we just trying to buy fire insurance? With the way we live our lives, you know, okay, I, I, think, I think I'm going to make it to heaven someday. You've you got a dilemma if that's where you're at, okay? And let me, let me explain the dilemma. The dilemma is this, is if you want God's power more than you want his presence, heaven's going to be rough for you. Because it's all about God's presence there. Do you just love him because of who he is? Do you just trust him because he's God? Do you trust him because he is sovereign, because he is Lord of all things, because he has everything in control, because he has your best interest in mind? Do you love him because he is God, the one who created you, who loved you, and who has shown you repeatedly how much he does? Do you just love him? Because, folks, that, that's what we want to be able to say. But here's what I believe. Functionally, I think most of us trust God if. I talk to a lot of people who, and, and believe me, I, I know, there's a lot of struggle in this life. But a lot of us trust God if. If he shows up and does what I hope he will do, then I'll trust him. If, if he does heal somebody, close to me, then then I'll trust. If he answers my prayers quickly and in the way at least pretty close that I want him to, then I'll trust him. If he protects, if he provides, okay, when he blesses us, then, you see what we've done? We've We've made our trust in God conditional upon his performance. And, and what does that make us? I mean, we, so many of us have this conditional relationship with God. And, and, and if we obey, we expect God to come through. And if he doesn't, our trust starts to wane. But what we need is an even if kind of trust. An unconditional trust in the goodness of God that he is in complete control 
that if something happens differently than from the way that we want it to, we will trust that God knows best regardless. What is the even if situation that you need to trust God with today? And I want to camp on this for just a, just a couple minutes. Every, all of you have a card this morning. Um, this little card that's sitting here. And I want you to just take this, and I want you to think about this. You can pray, you know, it's, it's okay. If I see the top of your head, I'll assume you're praying, not looking at your screen. What, what is the even if thing that you're wrestling down in your life right now? That, that place where, where when you think about it, you, you wonder to yourself. You, you start wondering, does, does God really know? Does God really know best? Does God really care? Can God really do this? I mean, where are those places in your life where you're kind of saying, okay, like God, this is like you, like God, this is where I, man, I, you got to come through. And and the question is this: is will you trust Him even if, even if He doesn't? I mean, even if the test results aren't what you hope for, maybe that's it. Write write that down. Even if my child continues to go astray. Even if my relationship falls apart. Even if my finances implode. Even if I lost my job. What, what if God doesn't heal? What if that person that I love never comes to faith in Jesus? What if others look at me strange and I become an outcast because of my faith? Where, where is the even if in your life? Because I guarantee you, if you're following Jesus in our world today, you've got an even if. Man, I, I, I have felt that pain and that struggle and that inter, inner conflict and, 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 and I remember at a crucial time in my life when, when my sister is laying in a, in a hospital bed and it does not look like she's going to make it. And I am saying, God, th- this makes absolutely no sense to me. I have never prayed for anything that hard before. Like, God, everything in the world points to this is what you ought to do, God. And I can make perfect sense of that. But God, I can't make sense of a world where it happens differently. It's just like in my head, I can't. And then will I, at that moment, actually say, even if, God, you choose not to do what I want you to do, I will trust you. And I will still worship you. I want to encourage you to take some time and and write something down on, on this card. Because the story, the story is not over. 
So all of you who went to Sunday school, you, you may know the answer. Does God save Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the furnace? No, he doesn't. He doesn't. L- you want, listen to the next passage. It says, the Nebuchadnezzar is furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His attitude towards them changed, and he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. He commanded some of the strongest soldiers to come and tie them up, and, and wearing their, tr- their robes, their trousers, their turbans, and other clothes, they were bound and thrown into the fur- blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent, and the furnace was so hot that the flames killed Uh, Flames of fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. I know I tricked you a little bit. God didn't save them from the furnace. Instead, God decided to show up there. I mean, where did they end up? They end up in the furnace. See, here's the deal. God will not eliminate the hardship from your life because it's where we learn complete dependence on him. And if you haven't gone through hardship, then then your dependence is thin. But when you struggle through hardship and pain and suffering, when you get to a place of saying, God, even if, even if it doesn't work out my way, even if this goes the wrong way, in my opinion, God, I am going to worship you. And I love God's deliverance here. King Nebuchadnezzar leaps to his feet in amazement. Okay? He says, looks at his advisors, he says, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. Do you notice how these knuckleheads, all they know how to say is certainly, your majesty? He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Now, I'm just snotty enough to where if I was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I would look back at him and said, nope, you come in and get me. But Shadrach, Meshach, and again, they go, they come out of the fire, and all these people gather around, and they go, not a hair on these guys' heads are singed. They don't even smell like smoke. Folks, here's the deal. It says they were bound and thrown into the fire. But when Nebuchadnezzar looks in, there's an extra guy, and they're unbound. Folks, the fire is what freed them. The, the fire is what burned off what was binding them. And Nebuchadnezzar has no other response but this. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve any other god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the, that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble. So Nebuchadnezzar is still the same guy. 
But then listen to this last comment. For no other God can save in this way. Then the king of Babylon promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You know, when I was a child, um, my dad, I, man, my dad, you know, he was, he was my hero. And um, one of my dad's favorite sayings, if you were around him very much, was the safest place to be is right where God wants you to be. And as much as I love my dad and trust him as a man of deep faith and wisdom, um, I'm not buying it. Because folks, the, the most faithful followers of God live lives that were anything but safe. Noah built an ark when he'd never even seen it rain before. Abraham was told to leave everything and go to a place far away and told to sacrifice his own son there. And God didn't stop him until the knife was at Isaac's throat. Moses spent most of his life leading a million whining Hebrews through the desert. David went up against Goliath Elijah ran from Jezebel. Every one of the apostles died horrible, painful deaths far, far from home. And yet somehow we, we want faith to be neatly packaged, exciting but not out of control. Folks, most of us seek a self-indulgent faith, a faith that makes us feel good on Sunday mornings and makes us happy inside But Jesus Christ calls us to a radical, self-denying faith, one that will cost you everything. Jesus calls you to risk it all for the purposes of the kingdom. There's a Christian um, who was living under the reign of Nazi Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In his famous book, The Cost of Discipleship, he says this, when Jesus calls a man He bids him to come and die, to give his life completely. Folks, the cost of discipleship is great. Making Jesus Lord of your life and living fully for him will cost you everything. But the cost of non-discipleship, the cost of compromising your faith for the sake of your own physical, social, economic well-being is much greater than that. Because you not only will lose the things of the earth, you will, learn, you, you will not have an eternity. People, we, we serve a risky God who invites you into the fire to trust him. This morning, I wanna ask you to step into the furnace. Um, it's not easy. You, you guys all have a card, right? And I'm hoping that you wrote something on here. Um, and Taking a step of faith forward and saying, hey, God, even if this doesn't happen, I will worship you. Even if you don't do it my way, even if my prayer doesn't get answered, even if you don't save that person, even though you don't heal that loved one, even though you don't do all these things, God, I will still worship you. I want to invite you. So this morning, and, and some of you, you know, because you've been kind of compromising and blending. And today I want to just ask, are you willing to step into the fire? Are you willing to step into the furnace today and say, even if 
even if I will still worship him. And so this spot this morning, right up here, this is the furnace. And I want to ask you this morning to to bring your even if, and I want you to offer this as a sacrifice into the fire. Just bring it up. You can set it upside down so not everybody else reads it and just set it on the steps. Or maybe you just don't care because even if somebody else knows, you don't care because you're still going to worship God. And so as we close today, I want to encourage you as a sign of saying, Lord, I, I'm willing to step out of my comfort, out of, the, out of this, and, and even if you don't do things the way I want, Father, I, I'm, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to adore you for who you are, not just because of what you do for me, but because of who you are. Because we have a God who sent his own son to walk through the fire for us. And that fire was called the cross. And that's why every week we celebrate communion. If you have your communion with you this morning, I know I'm asking you to do kind of multitask this morning here. But this morning, let's remember that Jesus... Jesus walked through the fire for you and for me so that we could avoid the fires of hell. So let's remember the body that was broken for us and take that together this morning. And then together let's take the cup that reminds us of Jesus' shed blood that that forgives our sins. And this morning, would you declare, even if it does not go your way, you will worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He walked through the fire for you. Will you walk and step in with him? If you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus Christ this morning, we'd love to talk to you. If you just need prayer, we'd love to have you pray while we're singing, spend time with him. Write something down, bring it up, and offer it to God and make this your living sacrifice today. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you, dear Jesus, for the gift that you give us in Christ. Thank you, Father God, that he was willing to come and to step into the furnace of the cross on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us always. And Father, we pray that, Lord God, even if even if you don't act in the way that we think you should, that God, it will just grow our trust as we watch you do what only you can do and deliver us from everything that would harm us. Father, thank you that you have our good in mind and we praise you and thank you in the powerful name of Jesus, the one who says, and all God's people said. Thanks for listening to the NPFCC Messages podcast. If you'd like to support the work of our church, head to npfcc.org give to make a one-time or reoccurring gift. For more information about us, you can always check out our website at npfcc.org. Again, that's npfcc.org.